Hello and welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. We appreciate you joining us through this podcast. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for joining us and enjoy the message. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, this one may not work afterwards. You might need to try another one. <laughs> Oh, I love that song. Anyway, that's probably not the best way to introduce our new message series. But it's called The Final Countdown, if you hadn't guessed it. Yeah, a little bit of that. Anyway, so it's a message series about Jesus' last week on earth before the crucifixion. All right, so that last week, Jesus knew what was going down. He understood what was going to happen. And so he was probably just counting down the days until the arrest and the crucifixion. That last week is actually called Holy Week. It starts with Palm Sunday and it ends with Easter Sunday. And so for this series, we're going to take a look at where did Jesus go that last week? Who did he hang out with? What did he talk about? Um, Those kinds of questions. And we're going to try to learn that from the four Gospels, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we'll be looking at the different stories that happened during that week. I'm personally super excited about this series. I've been looking forward to this one for months. I really believe that God is going to be honored through this message series and through uh, Easter as well. And so each week, we'll be reading a section of scripture, looking at the story, and then we'll try to see how can we apply that to our lives today? Are there some lessons that we can learn from that story? So we're going to talk about when Jesus was anointed uh, at Bethany. We'll be talking about when Jesus cleared the temple. I'm super excited about that message. And then we'll talk about the Last Supper as well. But today we're going to be talking about Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. And uh, you can turn in your Bibles if you'd like. We'll be in Matthew chapter 21. And if you don't have a Bible, just a reminder, that if you have a, don't have a Bible and you want to start reading your Bible every day, we have Bibles back at the Welcome Center. Just stop by there and pick up a Bible. But you can use your smart devices today as well. So to set up the scripture, Jesus knows what's going to happen, right? He knows what's going to go down when he goes up to Jerusalem. But yet he still predicts it, that he has to go up to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 13, he says, verse 33, in any case... I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be crucified and that his disciples will be scattered. So he actually tells them this three different times, kind of on the way. He's setting it up and letting his disciples know what is going to happen. One of those times is in Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 and 23 says, When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. So he he tells them this three different times. Now, when he says it at this point, he's actually up in Galilee. So I want to show you some maps. And I know that's kind of hard to see, but we have the Dead Sea down here, the Mediterranean Sea over here and the Sea of Galilee up near the top. And Jerusalem is actually down further. But if you go to the next slide, this is the region of Galilee. So this is kind of the hill country. It's, it's, the, 
It's out of town. Um, it's a rural area. And Nazareth is actually up there. I think that's on the next slide. You can kind of see that's where Jesus grew up was in Nazareth. But he did most of his teaching, and a lot of scripture is from Capernaum. That's kind of the, the lake city. It was right on the Sea of Galilee. So that's Capernaum. But he decides that he has to go down to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is where the Passover festival is held and the Passover feast. And so he starts this trek of heading down to Jerusalem from Capernaum. It's 85 miles. I mean, I just would love to go over to Israel. Wouldn't you guys just like to walk that and try to drive it maybe and see it? It's 85 miles. That's the distance between here and Gary, Indiana. So if you wanted to go to Gary, I don't know why you would go to Gary, but if you wanted to go to Gary, Indiana, <laughs> it would take you about an hour and 23 minutes if you got in your car after church and just drove there. Hour and 23 minutes. But scholars say that that trek took Jesus and his disciples about five to seven days because they would you know, hike you know, 10 to 15 miles a day. They would set up camp. They'd you know, eat some food, spend the night. And then the next day, they would keep on going. So think of heading down to uh, Jerusalem for the Passover. It's, it's like a camping trip, you know? So you're hiking and backpacking and camping overnight. And so he doesn't actually go straight to Jerusalem. He heads over across the river on the other side of the Jordan River. You can kind of see he goes over here, and he hangs out there. We don't know for how long. Maybe he was just waiting for the festival to begin in Jerusalem. We're not sure. But he's hanging out over there on the other side of the river and spends a couple days and then decides to start heading over to Jerusalem. On his way, he travels through Jericho. I think that's the next slide. So this is kind of, he crosses the river, heads through Jericho, and heads over to Jerusalem. So that's, if you just think of where Jesus is at, you know, his mindset is he's got his disciples He's spending a week or two or something like that on a hiking trip with them. He's teaching them. He's spending that time with them because he's on the countdown, right? He knows what's going to be taking place in Jerusalem. And by the way, as he travels through Jericho, he just heals a blind man or two. I mean, just something that he does, just heals a few. And then he comes up on the outside of Jerusalem. This is on Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. It's known as Palm Sunday. All right, Palm Sunday. So we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 21, starting with verses uh, 1 through 5. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt full of a donkey. So that was a prophecy in the Old Testament about the Messiah, that the Messiah would enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. That comes from Zechariah chapter 9. I'll just read that. Verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
So Jesus is coming as a king because that's, that's a royalty thing to ride on a donkey at that time. But he's not coming in a chariot, like ready for battle. It's kind of a different thing, but he's fulfilling that prophecy. And then starting again with verse 6, it says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So you can get a picture of that. Jesus doesn't sit right on the animals. They actually put cloaks on top of them. This is uh, to honor him. That's why they're doing this. It's, uh, it's, they're doing this out of respect. And not only do they do that, but they lay their cloaks down in front of him on the dusty and dirty road and let him walk on these donkeys, on these coats. And then in John, actually in the version of John, they're cutting palm branches and they're putting, they're waving them, which is a sign of just rejoicing and victory, but they're also putting those down in front of Jesus as he goes. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. It was traditional in the Near East to place a cover across the path of someone deemed worthy of highest honor. And then in verse 9, it says, The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And so as they're declaring this, this is also prophetic as well. This is coming out of the book of Psalms and was a prophecy about the Messiah, about the Savior that would, that would later come. So Psalms 118 verses 22 through 26 says, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus actually quoted that one time about himself, that first section. Then going on with verse 24, it says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. As they're doing that, as they're declaring that and, and singing that and praising that, they're declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, some of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they hear this, and, and that riles them, all right, That's, that he's accepting the praise of the people. And in Luke, in Luke's account, in verse, uh, chapter 19, verses 39 and 40, it says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, re rebuke your disciples, Jesus says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. So then in Matthew 21, uh, finishing up verses 10 and 11, it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. He was from out of town, but he was a prophet and he was making the splash to be sure. So today's message is titled Palm Sunday, the Triumphant Entry. And I'm going to give us two lessons that I think we can learn. There's, there's actually quite a few things in that section of scripture, but uh, there's two lessons that I want to talk about today from that scripture. But let me pray and then I'll give them to you. So Father, we come to you and we thank you. We thank you, God, for the scripture that gives us four different accounts of this glorious entry into Jerusalem. Jesus, you certainly did deserve the praise at that time, God. 
So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn something from that story today that we can apply to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, you can fill this in on your handout if you would like. A couple of points that we can learn. So number one is uh, we should be who God made us to be. It's a lesson we can learn from Palm Sunday. We should be who God made us to be. I love the section of scripture in verse 9 where it talks about them just kind of crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because they're just crying out that this is the Messiah, that this is Jesus, the Christ. And then uh, the Pharisees can't have it, you know? So they're, they're like, Jesus, tell them to be quiet. It's blasphemy what they're saying. You know, they shouldn't be saying that about somebody, you know, because you're not the Messiah, are you? I mean, that's kind of the, the intent. And, and Jesus at that point, man, he just makes it clear. He says, I can't. I can't tell them to be quiet. If they are, then the stones, I mean, the very universe is going to cry out and declare that I am the Messiah. Throughout Jesus' ministry, I believe he knew that he was the Son of God. I believe that he knew that he was the Christ, the Messiah. But he didn't share that with everybody. He knew that that would be trouble if everybody got on board with that, that they would force him to be their ruler and king. And so he kept it kind of quiet. Most of his ministry, he spent time telling his disciples at a couple of points, but for the most part, he kept that pretty quiet. But at this moment, at this moment, he just steps into who he was made to be. At that moment, he allowed the, the, the crowds and everyone around him to declare that he is the king, the Christ, the savior. It was his time. It was time for him to become who God made him to be. Now, stepping into our calling, let's talk about how we can apply this to our lives. Stepping into our calling can be difficult. And Jesus, certainly stepping into his calling was difficult. We'll read about that in a little bit. But stepping into our callings is sometimes difficult. I remember a year ago, Rose and I uh, were feeling called to start this church here uh, in Elkhart. And he had set up a, a lot of situations in our lives that made it pretty clear that this was our calling. This is what we were supposed to do. He had given us certain experiences to walk through and training and all those things. But I can tell you, I didn't feel qualified or equipped to do it. And there were days when I was just paralyzed for fear of failure. I mean, like, like where are we going to meet? You know, those are questions. Is anybody going to come? You know, Who's going to leave the church after I preach that first message? You know, those are the thoughts you have, right? And I remember Rose saying to me one day, she said, I've never seen you as insecure as you are right now. I was like, oh, that's just true. Because even though I had, if I look back on my, my past, I could see how God had prepared me for this moment and both of us for this moment. I had a computer science degree, which helped me to get a job at Memorial Hospital. I happened to join the team in the IT department when they were small. And over those 15 years, the, the department just kind of blew up. So I watched a lot of growth. I was able to get a lot of training on managing people and managing projects, which directly trained me to move over to the Vineyard Church in Mishawaka. 
So I left that job after 15 years, took on this job at the Vineyard Church in Mishawaka, which was small at the time, had about, I don't know, 250, 300 people. And over those 11 years, I was able to be on staff and watch the church grow and help them grow, led three different building projects. And so my experiences there, you know, growing up and, and at the hospital helped me to do what I was doing at the Vineyard Church in Mishawaka. But at the same time, that wasn't the end goal for God. I was like, all right, so I want you to take those experiences and now launch a church over in Elkhart. And I could see all of that. I could see, yeah, God, you've trained me. Rose and I learned to, to work together with young adult ministry. And I could see how God had been working on this for decades. I mean, really working on it for decades. And yet, man, I was scared. I was scared. I doubted it. How about you? How about you? Are there gifts in your life that God has given you? Experiences? Sometimes we, we don't look at those experiences. We only look at like training or education as something that prepares us for the future. But really, are there experiences in your life and callings that God has put in your life that he's asking you to move into? He's asking you to use those has he put you in a place where he's saying, okay, because of your training, because of your past, I can use you here? Don't you think that God gave them to you for a reason? Maybe it's for now, right now. But our insecurities can keep us from using them, right? I've been there. <laughs> I've been there. But here's, here's a question I want you to ask yourself. It's on your handout. Am I going to waste God's investments in me because I'm lacking confidence? Am I going to waste God's investments in me because I'm lacking confidence? Or am I going to use God's investments in me to change the world? I can't answer that question for you. But I can tell you, each one of you, God has invested into you. Each one of you, God has invested into you. Gifts, callings, relationships, experiences, talents, all of those things. He's put them in your life, not so that you can sit on your hands. He's put them in your life for a reason. Guys, man, do not let your insecurities keep you from walking in what God has for you. Please, don't do that. Some of you, you know, as you look back at your past, you look back and you go, man, he's been working on me for, for years. He's been investing in me for years. I think it's time that we give a return in God's investment. Because they're given to us for a higher purpose. Those gifts, those talents, those experiences are for his purposes alone. As I was putting this message together, um, I felt like God said something to me, actually it was this, just this morning, that there's somebody here who has some gifts, some leadership gifts, probably some leadership gifts, and you don't want to showcase what God has done in your life. All right? 
And you're just like, I don't want to make myself all that. I just want to sit in the shadows because I don't want to be in the limelight. And my message, I think, to you from God this morning is stop apologizing for the gifts that God's given you. Just stop it. All right? Just stop apologizing for the talents and gifts that God has given you and step into whatever that situation is that God's calling you to do. Just step into it. Okay? So hopefully that was for someone today. All right, so that's point number one. Lesson number one, we should be who God made us to be. We should be who God made us to be. Number two, number two, is man's approval is short-lived. Okay, man's approval. This is a lesson we can learn from Palm Sunday is that man's approval is short-lived. Let me give you a few examples here. First of all, let's talk about Tiger Woods. Y'all remember Tiger Woods? Man, everybody wanted to be like Tiger Woods. They bought his clothes, Nike Went through the roof, you know. He was the best golfer of all time during that season. I actually started watching golf during that time, which golf is incredibly boring. Anybody, you know, you get it? But we would watch it because we wanted to see what Tiger would do. It really helped the professional world of golf. But in 2009, he was caught in an affair, ended up going through a divorce. His career just tanked. His sponsorships left him. I remember videos of people burning the clothes that they had bought, the Tiger Woods clothes, you know, on social media. Man's approval is short-lived. How about anyone remember the song Gangnam Style? Die, remember that? Joe, I, I know you can do the... Can you come up here? Come on, show us the horse dance, Joe. Come on, can you... Can you no? <laughs> Once every 20 years, they can do that. Everybody was doing the, whatever, the horse dance, and everybody was watching that video. This was in 2012. Get this, 3.3 billion views on YouTube. That video has had 3.3 billion views. A lot. But here's the question. Is anyone talking about Psy anymore? No, I mean, you know, he's still putting out music. Yeah, he's still putting out music, but no one talks about him. Okay, how about one more? How about Michael Vick? You guys remember Michael Vick? Ooh, there we go. I hear it. Yeah. Michael Vick was a very talented football player, played for the Atlanta Falcons. And then in 2007, he got caught running a dog fighting ring. Okay. Ended up going to jail for almost two years. Accepted Christ, by the way, in jail, which is kind of cool. Uh, came out, you know, and started up playing football again. Played for the Eagles. But people still hate him today. Anybody? Let me see. Yeah, there's, there's one. I see. Yeah. <laughs> it's a strong word. But man's approval is short-lived. It just is. Let's talk about Jesus, all right? It's Palm Sunday. Jesus is riding in on a colt. They're, they're putting their cloaks down. They're cutting. They're running out, cutting palm branches. They're waving them. They're putting them down in front of him. And they're declaring that he's the king, that he's the Messiah. They're practically worshiping him. And in verse 10, it says, the whole city was stirred. Everyone was asking, who is this guy? Crowds loved him. And why wouldn't they? 
Why wouldn't they? He healed the sick. He healed a couple of blind men just on the way into town. This is a side note. He fed like 5,000 people at a time. When uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would try to argue with them, he just put them in their place. He completely outwitted them. But yet he had the compassion to just pray for the children. He said, let the, let the children come to me. Man, this guy was perfect. They loved him. They were super excited. The crowds were super excited, excited about Jesus coming into town. This year, the Passover festival and the feast was going to be awesome. I mean, they had the rock star coming in. They're declaring that he's the Messiah. He's going to announce that he's the new king. He's going to free them from Roman rule. All of this is going to happen, right? That's on Sunday. It's on Palm Sunday. But just a few days later, early on Friday morning, Jesus will be arrested. He'll be arrested by the jealous Pharisees and teachers of the law. So they arrest him. They take him to Pilate to condemn him to death. Again, this is, this is the rock star, the hero, right? And the jealous leaders of the, the tabernacle and the temple, they were doing this all in the middle of the night, you know, trying to get away with it trying to do it away from the crowds. These are the crowds that were declaring that he is the Messiah, Hosanna, all those things, right? And so they take him to Pilate because they don't have a legal way of killing a man, but they know that the Romans do, and the Romans will kill him. So they take him to Pilate to have him condemned. Now listen to this, this story with Pilate. This is in Luke chapter 23, verse 13. It says, Pilate called the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. So as you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I'll punish him and then release him. But get this, the whole crowd shouted, away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. Now, Barabbas was a criminal. He had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appeals to them again. He says, appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. So at first they're just saying, away with him. Now they're saying, let's kill the man. The crowds are screaming this. For the third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder the one they asked for and surrendered Jesus to their will. Five days earlier, the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're practically worshiping Jesus five days earlier. And now the crowds, the crowds are screaming, crucify him, crucify him. I mean, so much so that Pilate tries to release him three times and, 
and can't get it done. And so he finally gives in to their will to have Jesus crucified. Man's approval is short-lived. Guys, we can't live for man's approval. We can't live for man's approval. I'll be honest with you, this is a hard one for me because it's hard on me when I find out, when I realize that someone doesn't like me, and I, I just want to try to fix it, you know? Come, and I want to do things different because I, I like it when people like me, and it, and it bothers me. It keeps me up at night when I find out that somebody's upset with me or doesn't like me. But we can't live for the approval of man. If Jesus was arrested and beaten and therefore then killed, and he was perfect, why would we think that we're going to get anything different? In John chapter 15, he's talking to his disciples. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would, have, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. The point of this point is that as a follower of Christ, there's going to be times when our opinion, your opinion, is not very popular. If we're really going to do what Christ did, if we're really going to believe what he said, if we're going to teach what he taught us to teach to others, it's going to be unpopular. And I can tell you right now that we as a church, there's going to be times when we're not going to be the popular church in town because we're going to teach the scripture and we're going to teach the whole scripture. And we're not going to bend it based on what's popular in today's culture. The teachings of Jesus are becoming increasingly unpopular. Many of us can remember, it wasn't that long ago, when being a Christian or being, going to church on Sunday was kind of a, not just a normal thing, it was kind of a, an expected thing. And if you didn't go to church, that was kind of a, you're kind of known as a rebel at that time. Well, the, the pendulum has swung, you know, to the other side, and it's, it's swinging even more. And we have to be willing to be unpopular for our beliefs. We have to be willing to even be persecuted for what we believe and what we stand for. Because we can't live our lives based on man's approval. As we get to know the Bible and live by its teachings, we will become unpopular. It's just what's going to happen to us. But we need to be living our lives looking for whose approval, right? God's approval. That's whose approval we need to be looking for. What is God wanting from us? What is God expecting from us? And living that mission out, each and every one of us, regardless of what other people say. You can write this down. When my life is over, only God's approval will matter. Each one of us, when our lives are over, 
Not going to matter how many Facebook likes we had, right? How many times our Twitter was retweeted? That's not going to matter. What's only going to matter is God's approval. So that's the second lesson we can learn from Palm Sunday is that man's approval is short-lived. I'm going to invite Krista to come on up here, and we're going to end with a song. If you guys would all stand, I'm going to pray. So God, we come to you and just thank you for the lessons, man, of that last week. God, I'm excited about what you want to teach to us and how you want to mold us more into the image of your son Jesus through this series. But Lord, many of us, myself included, um, feel a sense of conviction from your word and from your example. So Lord, I pray that as we sing this song that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. If there's something that you want to point out to, sh to show us, Lord, I pray that it would be made clear as we sing this song of worship, Lord. Thank you for enjoying the message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for being part of our family, and we'll see you next time.